Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Faith at work. Faith at work is faith that works. Faith at work is faith that works. And we are going to be, as I said before, we're jumping into a new series looking at James. And James is all about faith in action, putting our faith into works. And this is James' key point, and we're going to be keep coming back. Over the course of this series, we're going to be hitting on a whole bunch of subjects and topics that speak to how we apply our faith. And if there's anyone who was qualified to speak into faith that is lived, it's James. You know, James had firsthand experience in observing what a whole life, a faith-filled life looked like. Why? Because as most scholars would agree, James actually was the half-brother of Jesus, Can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your older brother? I mean, you you would have seen everything firsthand. You'd have got up with him in the morning. You'd have sat around the the breakfast table with him having conversations as, as, as young boys going to teenage years. You would have played sport with him, wrestled with him, disagreed with him, and argued with him. You know, James, as he was growing up and even into Jesus' ministry life, did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Even though he lived his whole life observing the life of Jesus, the one who lived the perfect life, James still didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. You know, I'm sure that James could see some faults because, come on, let's be honest. If your sibling told you that they were the Messiah, you wouldn't believe them. I know this because I was, I was the oldest child. I've got six younger brothers and sisters, three brothers and, and three sisters. Some of you know, know them. Uh, and uh, I remember that even though I was the eldest and therefore most knowledgeable and wisest, no matter how right I was, they never, ever agreed with me. In particular, the next brother down, some of you know him. He actually taught you. His name is Ben. Ben and I growing up, we would fight continually about decisions around cricket in the backyard because I was always right about those incredibly subjective decisions of LBW. And Ben would never take my word. And we would have screaming matches in the backyard, you like yelling, like mum was scared that the police would be called kind of screaming matches. That was, you know, this is the kind of family I grew up in. And, uh, and, and, and even though I was right, and even though I was perfect, my siblings didn't actually agree with me. That's absolutely not true. I was certainly not perfect. But the reality is James got the inside view. And it's interesting that when we read this, we see this in John chapter 7. You can go and look at it later. But Jesus' brothers during his life didn't think that he was the Messiah. But something happened in James' life. Observing Jesus' whole life in his ministry, his teaching, the way that he lived, something changed for him at the resurrection. See, 
Jesus actually appeared to James. You can read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's really interesting. Is that Paul writes, he records and reports all the people that Jesus appeared to after he rose from the dead. Paul goes on to say that Jesus appeared to over 500. And then he goes on a list. He also appeared to James. And he appeared to the apostles. And then finally he appeared to me. That's interesting. James is not even in his life. It's not the the disciple James we're talking about. We're talking about James, the brother of Jesus. And Paul makes note and says, it's James that saw the resurrected Jesus at that moment. I believe James realized, no, my brother, (laughs) my brother is the Messiah. And at that point, everything was expedited for James. So by the time we get to Pentecost and we get to the early church, James has become a senior figure, one of the main leaders in the early church. He is a man who is a leader filled with faith and filled with wisdom. And so we read in Acts, Acts chapter 15, that James has become one of the senior spokesmen, leaders and pastors for the church in Jerusalem. And he acts with wisdom, discernment and faith. In fact, there is a significant issue that blows up in the church there in Jerusalem. The, The Christians there, the Jewish Christians are trying to figure out whether they should let the Gentiles into the church and how the Gentiles should behave. A pivotal moment in the life of the church. And as this argument is going on, James steps up. And we read this in Acts chapter 15, starting at verse 19. The words are on the screen. It says, he says this, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. We see here that James is taking a senior place. He is the pastor, really, of the church in Jerusalem. And he acts with judgment, with wisdom and discernment and opens up the church to all. James, who was a disbelieving brother, becomes someone filled with faith and ultimately a person of leadership. And James has things to say. James has things to teach. As we see, he's filled with wisdom and he writes this letter to the early church. And you've got to understand that that the reason that this is different and why it's filled with wisdom literature rather than theology that you would would read in Paul is, is that James has already done the journey with the church. By the time he's writing this, he's already taught them theology. He's done that journey and now he's writing wisdom. How does your theology impact the way that you live? It's wisdom literature. It's faith at work. How does our faith impact our lives? And that is the heart of James. And so we're going to start right at the beginning, James chapter 1, and we're going to read the first 12 verses of this letter tonight. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up to James chapter 1. The words are going to be on the screen behind me as we read along together. Kicks off with this. James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, it blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Last week, uh, we couldn't go on holidays where we were planning on going because of COVID. And so we as a family decided, it was the second week of the school holidays, we decided to do and have a staycation which was lovely. Actually, we had a lot of fun hanging about southeast Queensland and uh, enjoying time with our kids. And one of the things that meant for me is I was just able to chill out a little bit. I was able to uh, sit down and veg out and watch some TV at night. And um, I got hooked into, I'm just going to really, this is going to be really dull for a whole bunch of you. So I got hooked in for the first time to the Tour de France. Does anyone, does anyone follow the Tour de France? I realise there's, there's, yeah, no, no, not really. Okay, well, I've lost you already. Um, there, I realised I was about to, I might offend some of you, I certainly offended a lot of people at our morning service because we've got some keen cyclists. I've, I've, never, I've never really watched the Tour de France. I've seen it on TV in years gone past, mostly when I've been watching Wimbledon, How Good Was Ash Barty, and, uh, and, and The Ashes has kind of been that thing on SBS. And, 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 but, but this year, this year I started watching it, my goodness, it was, it's amazing. Like there was this Aussie, young Aussie guy who won a stage and, and done, he's done really well. And, uh, and I just got hooked into it. But I've got to tell you, these guys are nuts. They ride all around France for three weeks just eating cheese and drinking wine. No, that is not what they do. That sounds, that sounds a little better to me. But they ride three and a half thousand kilometres around France kind of like riding anywhere up to 250 kilometres every day. And I watch them as they climb over the Alps and as they go up the Pyrenees and the pain is on their faces as they, and they stray. I mean, it's just crazy. Day in, day out, riding kilometre after kilometre up hills in pain. And there was a revelation for me as I was watching this the other day. They look in pain, but they're choosing to do it. They're actually enjoying this. They're, you know, and it's not fun. I mean, it's not just the physical pain of, of going up all these mountains. I mean, they're doing it 
in terrible conditions. I mean, sometimes it's freezing and it's raining. Other times it's heat wave conditions just based on where they are. And there are serious crashes. I mean, half the fun for me watching it was all the crashes. But some of them are serious. Like, we've got some photos of some serious crashes. Like, it is, it is horrific. They're just knocking people out. I saw guys just disappear off the side of mountains. I mean, it was just crazy. Do you see the other photo? It was just like decimation. A whole bunch of guys got knocked out. You know, it is torture and pain, but for some reason, they still choose to get up and do it. And keep riding and keep, keep going. Why? Because they find joy in it. As I've been thinking about it, I've had this revelation, the reason why they enjoy it, the reason why they enjoy doing this is because they're insane. <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's, that's not the reason. That's, well, they might be. But it's because it validates and proves their purpose. See, the reason that they push through the pain, the reason that they ride kilometre after kilometre after kilometre is it's because what they believe it's what they're born to do. It's what they're good at. It's their purpose. It's their gift. And so they find joy in persevering through the pain because when they do it, it proves to them and to the whole world their gift, their joy, their call, their purpose. See, testing... And perseverance is a sign that we actually have something that we have purpose for. Or to put it in faith language, testing is a sign that we actually have faith, that we have a purpose, and that we have a truth to live by. Or to put it in another way, and this is the challenge for us, if we're not enduring times of testing, then perhaps it's because we don't have a living, vibrant, and visible faith. You see, James here, as we open up this passage and he gets straight into it, there's, there's no niceties with James. It's kind of like, greetings. All right, isn't it awesome that we get to experience trial, testing, and pain? It's kind of like Paul. Paul goes, I, I've been remembering you and thinking of you in my thoughts. And, and I, every time I think of you, I'm lost in wonder and love, grace and peace. You know, when Paul opens his letters, his, there are niceties. Not with James. James says, hi, just consider it great that you get persevered and you go through times of trial. It's kind of like there's no niceties. He's straight into it. And James says here, he says that testing times reveal what you believe. Testing times reveal who you are. Testing times reveal what you believe. It reveals your and my faith. So he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of what? Not the testing of your skill or your gifts, but the, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. See, what James is writing here, I think, I think there's good reason in the context of what he's saying is it's actually about faith. When we go through trials, it's trials, James means trials that are connected to, in association with, because of our faith. 
And the reason I think this is the case is because of the context in which he's writing. Let's go back to verse 1. Verse 1 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Who's he writing to? He's writing to the 12 tribes. What does that mean? Well, the 12 tribes is code language for the people of Israel. It's the church of Israel. It's the church birthed out of Judea. He is writing to a church that he led. He's writing to a people that he pastored and he cared for. People that he instructed, people that he loved. He's writing to his church. But his church is no longer in Jerusalem. He's writing to a scattered church. Why? Because the church became persecuted in Jerusalem. And so they, as he says, they are scattered amongst the nations. And we read this, you can go and read this in Acts chapter 8, but, but the church is scattered and so they go to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch and other places around the Roman Empire. They are a scattered church because they have been persecuted. Why were they persecuted? Well, they were persecuted because of their faith. And so James opens up understanding all of this and he writes to a persecuted church and he says... Consider it pure joy when you go through times of persecution. He's saying, listen, if you, are, if, you are, if you go through testing times and trials because of your faith, it's evidence of your faith. It's evidence of your values. It's evidence of your belief. It's evidence of the way that you live. It's evidence of who you are. Testing times revealed our faith. And it's not just for the early church. It's for us too. You see, our faith must ultimately and will ultimately be tested in day-to-day life. Truth does that, right? If you have a system or a truth, then it will challenge because that's what truth does. It confronts. Our faith will confront us and it will confront the world around us. Firstly, it confronts us. You know, I don't know your story and your journey, but perhaps you've come to faith in later life and you're living one way and then you became a Christian and as you stepped into faith, you realise that you are stepping into a whole new way of life with a whole new set of values and behaviours and those new values confront your old values and something has to change. You know, what we say, our language Needs to change as part of the testing. What we watch, what we look at, our vision of sex and sexuality changes. It's confronted with a new truth. The people that we spend time with, the communities that we surround ourselves with, they change as we step into a new step set of values. But it's not just in our inner life or our personal life. It's, it's in other spaces as well. It's, it's in our family life. And I was saying to, to, to those in the, in the morning service that, that for those of us who have kids, they are, raising kids is a great value challenger because all of a sudden you're responsible to raise up your kids with a certain set of values in a world that has a different set of values. And so let me tell you, for for those of you who are thinking, some of you are married here, some of you look forward to being married one day and having kids, be clear on your values. 
Be clear on your truth because they will be challenged by little ones who don't just naturally grow up to be holy and Christ-like. It's in our family life and it's in our work life and Maddie spoke about that before. We are surrounded more and more as we continue in a secular world that has a very different set of values. As we walk out in our work life, we are going to be challenged with a different set of values and we will shine a light. Let me tell you, from my own experiences, not, not working at Gateway or as a pastor, but when I, I remember when I was working uh, in oil for an oil company, that time and time again, my values were confronted. They were tested. Am I going to lie for my boss? Am I going to lie to my boss? Am I going to fudge those reports? Am I going to go along with the crowd? Am I going to laugh at those jokes? Am I going to use that language? You guys know this as well. We are challenged. Our values come in contrast. They are tested. And it's in these moments of testing we see where our values, where our truth, where our faith really lies. And so you need to be clear on your values. You need to be clear on what you believe. Because as James says, if you are not clear, then you'll be knocked from pillar to post. He says in verse 6 and 7, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. And so often, so often if we're not clear in what we believe, we're not clear in our own faith, if we don't stand for something, as the statement says, then we will fall for anything. James says, testing times are good because when we are tested, our true faith, our true values, our true beliefs are revealed. Not only do testing times reveal our faith, but they also mature our faith. And James says we need to take joy in this because not only is our faith revealed, not only does it shine, not only do we get to see and kind of experience and know what we believe, but we grow. We're matured in testing times. We grow in our faith. And so in verse 3 and 4, he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There is something about persevering that grows us, that strengthens us, that forms us, that matures us in deep ways. We know this, right? We know this. Let me give you a few examples. You know, the example, we, we, for some of us, we may go to the gym. And part of going to the gym when we're lifting weights and we're, we're, we're pushing through is that we're actually breaking down our muscles in order that they may be restored and grow in a stronger way. See, there is something about resistance, perseverance, that actually leads to resilience. Resistance leads to resilience. You know, I don't really go to the gym, but I do run. I enjoy running. And so running is another way of, of another analogy. You know, I know that, that if I want to do some fast park runs, if I want to run a fast 5K, then I actually need to train running 10 and 15Ks. Because I know that the longer I go, the, the greater my cardiovascular capacity is and the stronger my muscles are and the faster I can run at shorter distances. 
It's been interesting watching the Tour de France and seeing that these, these, these cyclists, for many of them, they actually get stronger as the three weeks progresses, as they break down their muscles, as, and then as they continue to get stronger and stronger as the race continues. These guys are nuts. In fact, the guy who's, who's he's going to win tonight, the general classification, the, he's won two of the stages right at the end of the tour. He's got stronger and stronger. You see, there is something about resistance that grows our resilience. And there are moments as we walk through our life of faith where we need to push through. There are moments where we will... To use another sporting analogy, we hit the wall. That's a running analogy. I've been watching the Tour de France and they, they say, oh no, that guy's legs have blown up. And you see a guy pedaling with a group and they're going up a hill and all of a sudden he's gone. All of a sudden in a split moment, their legs just go and they, just, they need to go back. It's another way of hitting the wall. And we go through these moments, right, in our faith where we hit the wall. Maybe you are walking through this journey right now. Maybe you have in the past. These moments where you get to a point of faith and you go, God, where are you? You know, this, this vibrant faith that I once had when I first became to faith and it was all new and exciting. I'd come into church and the, the, as soon as the worship would start, I'd just be like this and come Jesus. And just I'd be wanting to read the Bible all the time and I was praying, you know, in the car and on the bus. And, you know, I was telling people at work about Jesus. And, and now, now it's that, all that passion's gone. When God, where are you? Or something happens in your life and you begin to doubt. Hardship happens, trial, testing. You begin, to, you begin a job at work and everybody else kind of is on a different wavelength and you find it hard just to maintain your set of values and all of a sudden you find yourself slipping and that passion for God is gone and you hit the wall. We all go through these moments and these times of hitting the wall and we have two choices to make. I want you to remember these two phrases. We have two choices we either go back or we go deep. We either go back or we go deep. See, going back is, oh, well, why can't I get back to where I was? You know, it was all wonderful when I first came to faith or when everything was alive and I used to love leading worship, but now I come in and it's all the songs are just drab for me and I just don't feel like God is with me. If only I could get back to where things were. I want to let you know now that if you're in that place, that is not God's design. God doesn't want you to go back. He wants you to go deep so you can go through. If you go back, you'll end up going out. It's a tragedy to see how, how people lose their faith because they've given up, they've hit the wall, and they've just checked out. God doesn't want us to go back to how things were. He wants us to work things through so he can take us to a new level of maturity. And I reckon the real challenge for us in our world and our day and our culture is that pain is the enemy. If we experience resistance of any kind in our life, then we just pack it in. We become an instant gratification culture and it means that we, we just settle. We just look for the next nice experience. And well, church is not doing that. Faith is not doing that for me now, so I'll go chase something else. 
And God wants us to, in these moments of hardship, to go, God, I'm going to wrestle with you. Why? Because it's in these moments that we go deeper. It's in these moments that we grow deeper. It's in these moments that God draws us closer to himself if we're willing to take the time. I know that's for me. It's been true for me. Time and time again, when I've gone through times of challenge and hardship, it's forced me to go deeper with God. They have been the richest times in my life. And I've got evidence for it because my journals are often a lot fuller and thicker through hard times. Because I'm connecting with God, I'm searching, I'm seeking, I'm longing for Him. And God wants to reveal Himself as He takes us deeper. He wants us to to sit more fully in His Word, to cry out to Him more, more often, and to go deeper into Him. And we hear the words of Paul regularly saying, and Peter says it as well, Oh, oh, people, You're so settled on milk, but I want you to get hold of meat. There is so much more for you if you are willing to do the journey. James is saying, rejoice when you go through testing times, when your faith is tested, because if you persevere, you will mature. I want to say that we need more mature Christians. And I just want to encourage you guys, Maturity is not necessarily connected with age. There are plenty of 50 and 60-year-olds who are not spiritually mature. There are plenty of young people who are. I also want to say that we make, it, we, we make the error sometimes of connecting success with maturity. Just because you're successful in life doesn't make you wise or mature. But if we're willing to walk the journey, God will, as James encourages us, he says that we will grow in maturity. One key mark of maturity that I think comes out in this passage, and I do speak about this every now and again, is the mark of humility. See, when we're humble, when we're humble, we are willing to receive. I find it astounding that James starts this letter. Remember, James is one of the significant leaders in the early church. He's pastored this group of people and he just starts the letter by saying, James, a servant, a humble servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, James, your legendary pastor. He doesn't say, James, you know, the guy who invested in you. James, the brother of Jesus. He doesn't say any of that because he's mature, right? He's comfortable in himself. He is okay with himself. He has figured himself out. He's worked through the hard times and he's come out a more humble, mature person. See, here's the thing. Humility takes us to a place of wisdom because we are willing to hear, to learn, and to listen. And so in verses 9 to 11, James, this humble leader, says to his listeners, to his hearers, to his readers, he says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Saying, if you're in a humble place, you're in a high position. But the rich should take pride in their what? in their humiliation. 
God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you are proud, then you will be humiliated. And there is something about life and going through hardship and trial that has this way of humbling us. Life is a great humbler. Mature people have walked the journey enough to know and they have learnt in the journey that they don't have it all together. If you think you've got it all together, then you are not mature. Mature people have a wonderful sense of understanding who they really are. Self-reflection, self-understanding. It was interesting, I was listening to Brad Fittler, who's the New South Wales State of Origin coach just this week. And uh, uh, he's had a bunch of critics this week about some of his team selections. And uh, Queensland won the, the, the last State of Origin. We got belted in the first two. But what was really interesting about the interview is, as I said, Brad, do, do these critics just annoy you? All these people who kind of criticise you for the, your decisions that you make? He says, you know, no, I don't. I actually... I really love criticism because I actually learn. And, and, and this is the thing that, that stood out to me. He said, the danger is when you are winning is that you don't learn. You get lazy. And here's the thing. One, that is an incredibly mature thing. But here's the thing. We don't learn. And, and Brad Fittler's point is out. We, we, we can learn in the good times, but it's in the testing times that we really learn. We need to learn humility. And when we get humility, when we understand humility, as James says, then we are ready to receive wisdom. We're actually ready to receive another voice. It's when we're humbled, when we're mature, that we're actually willing to allow other people to speak into our life circumstance, able to speak into our relationships, able to speak into our workspace, able to speak into our future, able to speak in, into our hopes and our dreams. I want to say to you guys, if you can get to this place in asking for wisdom, then you will be on a good track. And James says that God wants to give you wisdom. Wisdom is what makes faith work in testing times. And so he says in verse five, if you're going through times of hardship and trial, then you need wisdom to get you through this season of trial. And he says in verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom to make it through, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. You know, we need wisdom to walk through the hard times, to persevere. The way that I see it is this, is that, that wisdom sits between our faith and our action. Wisdom sits in between what we believe and what we do. It's this middle space. It's this wisdom that takes our faith and turns it into works. We all need wisdom. And James says, if you need wisdom to put your faith into action, then ask for it. He doesn't say ask for information. You know, we live in a world that is overwhelmed with information. You know, we have access to so much information. I have no idea how much access to information I have right through this smartphone. But information is not wisdom, right? And I think that because we have been inundated with so much information in our world, that we are confused. 
We actually don't know what to do with it. We actually don't know how to apply it. We don't know how to live with wisdom. Instead, we become overwhelmed with it all. We become anxious with all the information we have. And so we live in an anxious age. David Kinnaman and Mark Matlock in their book, Faith for Exiles, writing about how we can live a resilient life. They, they write this, at the broadest level, the, uh, the pursuit of wisdom, what we are calling cultural discernment, is the godly answer to rising complexity and its symptom, anxiety. We can ratchet, ratchet, ratchet anxiety down and ratchet resilience up by cultivating wisdom. In a complex and anxious age, we need to develop the muscles of wisdom and discernment. Like a good workout, the pressures of following Jesus in our current environment force us. This is what James says. They force us to get stronger or else suffer the consequences. If we don't put the effort to swim upstream, our faith is going to wash out. Wisdom is what we need. Wisdom is what we need in this age in order for us to swim up against the values of our culture and hold on to the values of our faith. Wisdom is what makes faith work wherever we work, wherever you work, wherever you study, wherever you live, whatever family you are part of, wisdom is what makes faith work. And over the coming weeks, we're gonna be unpacking this as James pours out his heart and gives a whole bunch of wisdom around a whole bunch of different areas of our life and of faith. It's gonna be gritty, it's gonna be real, it's gonna be action-packed, it's gonna be filled with wisdom. And we need it. We need wisdom because wisdom guides us. Wisdom gives us clarity in the mess of the middle. Wisdom gives us boldness and courage when we feel like we don't have courage. Wisdom gives us patience when we don't want to wait. Wisdom gives us security when we feel insecure. Wisdom brings us ultimately hope. Wisdom gives us an understanding of how our lives can be lived in the midst of testing and trying times. And all we are invited to do, James says, if you want help in this, is to ask for wisdom because God wants to give it to you. I love this. I love this verse. It's, it's grabbed my heart. And if you lack any wisdom, then ask God who gives without finding fault. Doesn't matter how successful you are as a Christian. It doesn't matter how good you're doing. It doesn't matter how good you have been. It doesn't matter whether right now you are in a time of faith, whether you're, you've hit the wall and you're going back, whether you're doing really well. You can come to God at any time and God looks at you and wants to give you wisdom without looking at you and finding fault. All you need is humility, an ability to be able to say, I don't have it all together. I need help. 
I need help. All we are invited to do is ask. I wanna ask you right now, do you need wisdom? Do you need wisdom in your walk right now? Then ask for it. I wonder whether we can stand in this place. Come on, let's jump to our feet. I, uh, I'd love to create a moment and some space to pray for people right now. And, uh, and I've felt this across the day. I, I reckon there are people here right now who are walking through something of, of, a, of a test or a trial. And, uh, and you, you maybe have hit the wall. Maybe it's to do with faith. Maybe there's something going on in your workplace or university and you just feel like you're challenged right now. Maybe there's a decision that you've got to make. Maybe there's something going on in your world and you're, you are struggling with it. You don't know what to do. Maybe you feel like right now your faith is on the line. Maybe you feel like that joy and that energy and that life that I was talking about that you once had has dissipated and, you're go- and gone and you're going, God, where are you right now? That's okay. It's actually part of your faith journey. Don't go back, go deep. And this is an opportunity for us again and afresh to go deep so that God can move you on, that He can move you forward. So what I'd love for you to do, if you're in that space right now, whatever that looks like, just know that that's you right now and you'd love to receive encouragement. You're actually saying, God, yes, that's me. I really would love wisdom for this season, this time. I'm just gonna invite you just to come forward right where we are right now. Can you just come right now if that's you? Just step out from where you are. And I'd love for you just to, to come and stand, just kind of spread out, out the front here. Is there anyone else? Just come. The challenging situation, a question in your workplace, family, friendships. Awesome. Can we just spread out, guys? Just because I'm going to invite people to gather around and I'm trying to do this in the as COVID-safe possible way as I can. Come on, come forward. Awesome. All right, if we can spread it. Now, I'd love just to, this is what we do uh, here at church, is that uh, if you're a believer here today, everyone gets to pray and, uh, and bless one another. So it'd be great just to uh, gather in a kind of a distance way around these guys. So can we just have a bunch of you just come and just gather around, at least have one person with each of these guys? That would be wonderful. Maybe if you can get in front of them. So guys down the front, if you can just kind of take a step back. And I know it's weird and hard, but it's the way it is. Everyone just kind of gather around. Come around the front here, guys. Someone with hope, someone with ash. Awesome. Hey, we're all kind of going to sing together and and John and Liz are going to lead us in a song, God, I look to you. And we're all going to, I just encourage all of us as we sing these words, God, I look to you. One people, give me vision. God, give me vision in this time. Lord, give me wisdom. We can all ask for that. And for those of you praying, maybe you just want to say, if you're comfortable just saying, this is what I was going on. I'd really love prayer for this. And then, and then just pray, just in bless, just encourage as you pray, guys. So come on, let's pray together. Let's worship, let's sing. Let's cry out to God and ask that He would give us strength, that He would encourage us, that He would give us His wisdom in this time. Come on, let's sing together. Guys, let's pray for one another. We hope you've been blessed by this message. 
We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.